Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. From everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. This is the word of God for the people of God. See, if you ever want to do a really elaborate personality test on someone, I highly recommend um, going, uh, bringing them on the next pilgrimage we take over to the Holy Land when we're going around Israel and seeing all the different sites. And pay attention to who gets excited about what uh, monuments or highlight along the way. So for a lot of people on our trip, it was the Garden Tomb because it was kind of this very authentic-looking site of Jesus' burial and resurrection. It it actually looks like a graveyard. It's grass. It looks authentic to it. There's another proposed site that's a really ornate church, but a lot of people really found a lot of meaning in the garden tomb. Some people, it was Bethlehem and the site of Jesus' birth. Um, Other people, it was even Peter's house in Capernaum that they found. um, Sea of Galilee was a really um, meaningful place for a lot of people, but there were a few people that when um, we we were up at the Temple Mount um, and we saw— um, oh, Dave, you told me this was going to work. So we were over the Temple Mount, and we saw this scene. They got really, really excited by this. Now, it is uh, closed up now. They've closed the gate. But if you look hard enough and you use your imagination enough, you can picture a line of people with tables who are changing money from the normal-day currency into the currency they would use to pay their temple taxes or their offering fees to go into the temple. And if you use your imagination even further, you can imagine Jesus coming in and turning the tables and making a whip and start uh, whipping everything out of the temple that was causing it to be uh, perverted for justice, which if you've never seen this meme before, you really need to pay attention if you're somebody who has the gift of maybe prophecy, for example. Or, um, so this, this was uh, a scene that is really highlighting the way that Jesus was upset. I mean, we often think of Jesus as this lovey-dovey teddy bear kind of guy, but this is Jesus who was upset about what humans had done with what they'd been given, that what they had been handed to them was the temple, and especially the Jewish religious authorities, and how upset they were. So it's biblical evidence that he was upset with the way that the Jewish authorities were running things. But there's also biblical evidence that Jesus may have just been hungry. And if you know human beings, how we get when we're hungry— because um, if you look in Mark chapter 11, uh, you can see the scripture about the following day um, when they came from Bethany. He was going into the temple from Bethany, which is across the Kidron Valley. So he came down from Bethany. He was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig, leaf, a fig tree and leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now the day after, so he goes in from that moment, and he goes, um, goes clears the temple, the, the money changers and everything, and then the next day they're going back through the Kidron Valley, up back to Bethany, and as they're going, Peter, one of those disciples, uh, sees this fig tree that Jesus had yelled at when he was hungry, because 
that's what you do when you're hungry, is you yell at trees, and uh, says, oh my gosh, master, right, Lord, this tree that you cursed is withered and died now in just a day. Um, and Jesus doesn't really answer the conundrum or the question about why this tree is withered and died, even though it wasn't even supposed to be in season to bear its fruit. All that Jesus does is he kind of turns them back around and looks toward the temple, because the temple is on a mountain. It's on a, a mountain that sits above where Jerusalem is. He looks back at the mountain, and he, and he says to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done to you, for you. And you may be asking, why in the world does talking about Jesus yelling at fig trees or clearing tables from the temple have anything to do with the scripture that, that Jen read um, or spiritual gifts? And I'll remind you what the scripture was. To those who have been given much, much will be expected. If you've been entrusted with something, you're expected to use it trustworthily. And our spiritual gifts are what we've been given to use in the world. I will also say that all these stories about fig trees, if you look at the Luke chapter 11, verse 48, is what we read from, but it's part of chapter 11, 12, and 13, which is a really long three-chapter rant by Jesus about how upset he is at the Jewish religious authorities for how they are perverting what God has given them for their own gain and for their own glory. And as part of that, though, it's not only discipline and it's not only anger, but if you go 16 verses from what we read, you're going to get into Luke chapter 13, and you're going to get another fig tree story. It says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Again, lots of fig tree stories. By now, the only thing you've learned is that Jesus hates fig trees. It's probably the only thing that you may have walked away at this point. But this is, this is more about Jesus yelling at random fauna on the way to Jerusalem or having anything against fig trees. Um, this is kind of an example of what the next sermon series is going to be about. It's called Bible Basics. And it really is how to read the Bible, how to not just take one passage out of context from the rest of the story or the rest of the narrative around Jesus. It is how to look at a scripture verse and be able to tell whether the author of scripture is using that as a metaphor versus kind of an actual Jesus hates fig trees kind of moment. Because fig trees are, in fact, very symbolic in the Old Testament, very symbolic in the history of Israel if you will. In fact, the uh, symbol, like kind of the crest for the tribe of Judah, whose land had Jerusalem, where the mount of the temple was in, their symbol was a fig tree. And a fig tree was this sign of abundance in Israel. In fact, it's such a valuable or memorable symbol in Old Testament literature and in Jewish wisdom that there's a thought that the tree of knowledge in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve go and eat the fruit that they're not supposed to, it's a thought that the tree of knowledge is a fig tree because it is so abundant, because it provides so plentiful. When we get into numbers and we've got, or when we get into numbers and it describes uh, Moses sending uh, spies, Caleb and Joshua and others, into the promised land to kind of scout things out, they come back and they report a land of plenty, including a lot of figs. But if you get to Numbers 20, uh, verse 5, it comes back and it talks about it's, uh, the Israelites are still wandering the wilderness and this is the part where they have to stop and get water out of a rock. 
And the way they describe it as barren and with nothing in it is to describe a place with no figs. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, it describes this land that's plentiful with figs because it's just this produce you can just go grab off of trees and eat whenever you want to. It's this symbol of abundance. But Joel chapter 1 verse 7 is after this swarm of locusts or an army comes in, they describe the desolation that comes from the destruction of this army as where have our fig trees gone, the splintering of our figs. So fig trees are a sign of promise. They're a sign of abundance. They're a sign of blessing. If you go from the Israelite history of being barren in Egypt and enslaved in Egypt through the wilderness where they had absolutely nothing to this land where there are just figs everywhere, it is such a popular crop, such a popular tree. It is a sign that God is there. It is a sign of God's abundance. It's a sign of the gifts that God has given to the Israelite people, drawing them into a place where they are supposed to be a city on a hill, a nation that all people want to be a part of. Even as far back as Genesis 12, when Abram is called out of Ur to travel along the river and then eventually leave the safety of the river, God doesn't give Abram a, hey, once you get here, you're going to stop, and this is exactly what you're going to do. God says, go as far as I tell you, and I'll tell you to stop. And there is this faith that comes with needing to trust what God is going to give. But in that trust, the kind of thesis statement is, I will bless you to be a blessing. Abram is called to go start a world, a people, a nation that is blessed to be a blessing. And they are given the wisdom of the law. They are given the presence of God. They are given the temple to remind them of the presence of God and to go in and out of and to atone for sins. And they're given this way of being in the world that is lifting up justice and fairness and mercy for all types of people, including the alien that resides amongst you. It is this world that God has designed so that everybody has what they need. They have the abundance of the fig tree. But when Jesus is coming off of Bethany, he's already been in the Galilee region. He kind of knows what's going on. He's coming down from Bethany. He's going down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley, and he comes up to the temple, and he knows that the Jewish religious authorities are using everything that God gave them for their own glory and their own power and their own grace. And Jesus just isn't having any of it. The fig tree is not Jesus' least favorite fruit. The fig tree is a representative of what Judah had become. That is just a tree that God had planted that wasn't bearing the fruit like it was supposed to. It wasn't providing the grace and the goodness to its neighbors and to the people inside of the city walls even that it was supposed to. That God had given them everything that they needed and they just weren't being the blessing that they were supposed to be. And this is where Paul brings in, in Romans and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, every time Paul lists out those spiritual gifts, the reason he's listing them out is because people are trying to use their own gifts or their own status for their own glory and for their own good. And they're usually saying, well, my gift is better than your gift, or my position is better than your position. And the gifts are really just thrown out there to say we have this diversity of life amongst us, and the way that that is designed is so that we all prosper when we work together and when we use our gifts in accordance with each other and we live according to God's laws of fairness and justice and mercy and grace and all of these different things. But Paul has to add the caveat onto all of those lists that the gifts are not meant just for you to shine. The gifts that God gives us are not meant just so you have the biggest and the brightest and the best and the most fun. The gifts are given for the building up of Christ's church to use for each other, to use for the world. We are blessed 
to be a blessing. Now, one of the uh, most common conversations I've been having recently, I've either tried to send a note card or a phone call or just talk to people in person, um, and a lot of other people as well, but, you know, the start of school brings with it a lot of different feelings and a lot of different challenges. Um, it's usually like, how was the first day of school? And the kid's like, yeah, it was amazing. And then two weeks in, it's like, how's school going? And they're like, it is awful, because um, that's when homework sets in. How's the first day of football practice? Oh my gosh, I can't wait for the first game. How's the third day of football practice? I can't move my legs anymore. It's just kind of this toughness that comes along with it. But kind of the toughest conversations I've been seeing and having have been um, those parents who are dropping their student off at college for the first time. And I've heard that with the other kids, next kids, it doesn't get any easier. Um, but when, the, when that student is going to college for the first time and you're driving them, you're dropping off the emotions that come of having your baby out of the house and kind of going on to real life as much as real life is for college students. And um, it, it just was this uh, highly emotional time. And it kind of brought me back to when um, my parents dropped me off at TCU for the first time. I remember going to Moncrief Hall and they moved everything in with me and we set everything up. And then they took me to the last nice dinner I was going to have in a little while and uh, came back and, you know, they kind of have some tears in their eyes. And I remember the words my dad said just distinctly. He said, these are going to be the best four years of your life. And they were. I mean, they were great. I don't want to say they're the best four years because I think people get stuck in college. Like, you can be, have a nice community in college, but don't get stuck in college, right? And, and I, I've been thinking about that as people have been going to college, and you know they're going to have a great experience. You know college is kind of set up to support and have this wonderful experience. But what I hadn't really thought about, in the midst of these conversations, I was moving a book just on a bookshelf, and I looked at my diploma, and I don't think I'd ever read these words for the first time. Um, but it's Texas Christian University has conferred upon David Morgan Lesnar the degree of Bachelor of Arts together with all the honors and responsibilities pertaining thereto. With all the honors and responsibilities pertaining that this diploma brings with it. Now, for a bit of comic relief, my seminary degree has nothing about responsibilities. It's just privileges and honors. Um, so I feel like maybe I bypassed that. But no, my, my undergrad degree with all of the honors and responsibilities of that degree that college was not supposed to be just the four years of party time or four years of great times or great memories or, or friendship making, that it's this privilege, this gift I was given by my parents and some scholarships to go and have this education that I can use somewhere productive in the world, whether that was going to be medicine at first or now God took a left turn and now I'm preaching and leading a church, and that I was given this gift of education that wasn't supposed to just be for my own glory. It is, has the privileges of the education that I receive and the things that I can gain from that education, but it is given to me so that I can have also the responsibility of what I've learned and the responsibility of using that for the betterment of the world. And whatever your field or your major or whatever education level you get to, right, we have this wonderful gift in our country of education until someone becomes a senior, you know, 18 years old, because we want to give everyone the gift and the responsibility of being a great citizen. And I think about the gift that we have of the church that we get to be a part of. That we have this gift where we get to come and we get to be supported and nurtured by loving people in Sunday school or small groups or youth or worship itself. We get the gift of the musical gifts that inspire us. We have all of these gifts that God has given us within the church and outside of the church. And I wonder if sometimes we don't just look at those as privileges or honors. And we just think of this as something that we get to come, well, my gift is supported by the church, as opposed to my gift supports the church. Instead of the responsibility of everything God has given us, 
If you've been given the gift of teaching, you are supposed to teach. If you've been given the gift of prophecy, you are supposed to tell the truth, even the hard truth. If you've been given the gift of healing, you are supposed to be making people feel better. If you've been given the gift of helping, you are supposed to be stacking chairs and doing the things behind the scenes. If you've been given the gift of administration, you are supposed to be ordering things. If you've been given the gift of generosity, you are supposed to be giving money. Everybody's supposed to be giving money. Let me make that clear. But like, if you have been given these gifts, you are supposed to be using them. And you're not just supposed to be using them so that you can have the biggest and the best and the brightest. You are supposed to be using them so that our community is a better place. So our church is a better place. You have been given this diploma of sorts from the Holy Spirit that says that you have all of the honors of what it means to be a Christian and all of the privileges that come along with that of eternal life and God's glory and grace and love and supportive community and all of the privileges and honors that come along with this diploma that you have been given through Jesus Christ and you have all of the responsibilities of what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing. Now, the reason that second fig tree story came in is if you'll notice the, the first fig tree story Jesus wasn't very patient with. Jesus sees a fig tree not bearing fruit and curses it immediately. We also have to recognize the second parable that Jesus tells that the master is going to go and he's going to strike down a fig tree because it's not bearing any fruit. But the gardener steps in and says, Hold on. Let's give this tree another chance. And let's nurture it with the right manure, which go make your metaphors and parallels for church right there if you want to. All right, let's put the right stuff around it so that it grows and it nurtures. So if you're someone who kind of hear this and say, well, maybe I haven't been using my gifts, there's always a second chance. There's always grace. There's always forgiveness. And the reason we're doing this series and the reason that we're doing every single sermon series all the way through December is to give you that nurture and to give you the manure of sorts, right? Or to give you the supporting environment to recognize and prosper and grow so that you can utilize your gifts in a supportive environment so you can bear fruit so that when Christ walks by, Christ can look and be like, oh my gosh, look at the fruit, right? And that's what we want from our church. That's what we want from each individual, as a collective, we want to bear fruit. We want to bear fruit that people understand and come to realize and experience the love of Christ in real and tangible ways. And even beyond that, we want each individual to be a branch, whether you find yourself in class or on a sports team or in the band or in choir or at work or on the golf course or wherever you find yourself, we want you to be a branch that is bearing fruit so that wherever you are, people experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ in real and tangible ways. Because that is a gift that we were given as Christ came to earth to give us love and to forgive our sins and to show us in real and tangible ways how God loves us. That is a gift that we have been given. And to whom much has been given, much will be expected. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you look down upon us with grace and with favor. We thank you that as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there setting a table and bearing fruit for us. And when we are on the mountaintop, you celebrate the fruit that we are bearing. And so God, may we be um, that extension of grace in the world. May our gifts not go wasted or unused. May we live to the full potential of who you've created us to be. And we thank you for the grace when we haven't quite gotten there. And so God, may your love pour into us and through us so that this entire community, no matter who they may be, might come to realize or feel the love that you've given. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
All right, kids, I want to... Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.